everyone, and thank you for joining me again today for the Finding Hope After Loss podcast. It's officially September and fall will soon be here. I know I for sure am looking forward to the cooler weather and everything else that fall brings. I also wanted to take a moment to remind everybody that October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. As I've previously mentioned, I do a reading of names for the Wave of Light on October 15th of each year. If you aren't familiar, the Wave of Light is when everybody lights a candle on October 15th at 7 p.m. in whatever time zone you are in, in order to honor all of the babies who are gone too soon. If you would like your baby's name to be included, please look for the post on Instagram or Facebook, or you can always send me a message on either one at Journey for Jasmine, or you can email me at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at journeyforjasmine.com. My hope is to always include as many babies as possible. I truly love being able to help honor and remember each and every one. So today I am talking with Karen Rich, who went through infertility, 17 fertility treatments, five miscarriages, including an ectopic pregnancy where she lost a tube, and the child loss of one of her twins. Her journey has inspired her to become a fertility coach so that she can help other women who are navigating the journey of infertility and loss. Hello, everyone. Today, I am here with Karen Rich. Karen, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Um, Thanks for having me, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here. So I'm Karen Rich. I'm originally um, born and bred in New York, um, but living down now in South Charlotte um, and um, loving life. I am a wife and a mother of three beautiful children, and I'm also a fertility coach. It sounds like you have a pretty full life. (laughs) Yes, 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 I do. So what made you decide to become a fertility coach? So that's a great question. And I would say that it, you know, was something that happened for me. Um, And that was my entire infertility journey, which was super long and started, um, back in 2005. So I have been in and around infertility since 2005. So I feel like I call myself like an OG, um, because I've (laughs) seen so many changes happen, um, you know, since I went through my treatments. But essentially, I went through 17 infertility treatments, five miscarriages, I lost a child. Um, I lost one of my twins, I actually had four children. And it was a really painful journey for me. And with one of those miscarriages, I had actually had an ectopic pregnancy and lost one of my tubes. So after going through so much, I never thought, you know, anything that we would ever have another child. But lo and behold, in my early 40s with one fallopian tube, I got pregnant on my own. So it was very healing for me having gone through so many years of infertility and so much loss to have actually conceived on my own because you hear that happens to everybody, but that never, (laughs) that would never happen to me until it did, right? So um, I was able to kind of sit and I in a former life, you know, worked in the fashion industry. And I would oftentimes say to myself, 
it's not brain surgery. I'm not doing this big world greatness. And it wasn't until afterwards, I was very private about my infertility journey. There were a couple of friends and family members who knew, but overall, I was super embarrassed of the issues that I had, because to me, nobody else had issues. And I was the only one. And, you know, we tried to have, you know, more children, and everybody was having their second and their third and their fourth children and, you know, not understanding. And I was stuck in miscarriage and failure. So after I had this natural pregnancy, it just kept sitting on my heart. Like, you know, it really, it it was horrible what happened to me, but I have to do something with it. I have to be able to help other people through their journeys and show them hope and be that ray of light. And, you know, I want to say it was roughly four years ago, I started, you know, my, my coaching business. And it is so amazing you know, obviously, everybody I work with, I want them to have a baby, right? I want everybody to have a baby. But it's not just about having a baby. It's about making that journey easier. It's about saving them money along the way. And then yes, of course, it's about, you know, having a baby. But oftentimes along that way, there's relationship healing that happens. There's more joy in the journey. There's more positivity. And every time I have a client say to me that one of these things has happened to them, it just makes me happy. Now, of course, I love getting, you know, emails in the morning or text messages in the morning with a baby picture saying, hey, look who was born. That makes me happy too. But it's just being able to help and be that um bridge between a medical team and, you know, the couple that just makes me so happy um, to be able to be there for them. Because I think as we all know, if we've gone through any kind of infertility and treatments that it's super hard to get the support you need. Yes, it absolutely is. And I love that you are that person for people, you know, it's kind of somebody who can hold their hand and walk the journey with them, and Mm -hmm. make it more than just these are the medical steps to get pregnant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cause there is so much more. And when you're stuck in that cycle of loss and um, failure, like you start, it, it feels hopeless. It feels hopeless. And I know what that feels like. You know, when, when I have clients who are deep down in the trenches, I understand, like when I say to them, I know that you don't think you can go on anymore. I was there. I get it. So being able to have somebody, and again, as I said, to be that ray of hope, because if I can overcome it, so can you. And that's what I'm there to help you do. So I know you touched on it a little bit, but do you want to share a little bit more about your infertility and loss journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was a it was a really, really tough one. And you don't know what you don't know what you don't know. I think, you know, for me, I'm not sure if all of your listeners, you know, go through infertility treatments. But, you know, even if you're not going through infertility treatments, when you have a miscarriage, it's it hurts, it hurts. You know, that first one is like, okay, maybe it just was, you know, a a fluke thing, right? But then you have your second, and then you have your third, and then you know, you just keep having them. And you're just at a loss for words. And oftentimes, doctors just are not equipped, or especially even fertility clinics are not equipped to handle multiple miscarriages. And I'm here to say, you know, to anybody listening who's had more than two miscarriages, any doctor who tells you that that's normal, it is not. Um, 
In fact, I recommend that even after one miscarriage, you start doing some kind of testing, not the full testing. Um, but I think as, as um, a person going through loss, you want to know that you're doing something to move closer to what your issue is and overcoming it. So for me, that's kind of what I did. I mean, it, it took me so long. It took me eight years because there, you know, I kind of fell outside that bell curve of having all these miscarriages. And, you know, I, I produced a lot of eggs and it's just like, you know, it was unexplained, which side note, unexplained is not a real diagnosis. And I'm sorry to upset anybody by saying that there is an explanation. The doctor just hasn't, you know, dug deep enough to find that. But my lost journey just found me like with this resolve with blinders on to figure out what the heck was going on. Like, why was I, you know, um, and, and I should add my first IVF I ever did resulted in my first pregnancy, my first child that I have. So the second time around, I kind of thought, oh, it's going to be easy. And it wasn't. It was, you know, five years, five miscarriages, you know, it was it was disheartening. And then when you get that positive pregnancy test, it's not relief. You know, it's not relief at all because you know what can happen after you've had one miscarriage. So you're always looking for blood. You're always wondering all of these things. I mean, you know, I won't get too graphic, but I was like a mess, you know, even with my natural pregnancy. Um, it's just, it's really, it's, it's a, it's a big mind. You know what? Like it just messes with you. It's a roller coaster. And sometimes it just takes everything that you have to put one foot in front of the other. But doing that and moving forward and making changes is, is what is going to finally get that viable pregnancy for you. But it, you know, it just took me a long time to figure that out. I, I felt like, you know, I, I had to do my own research. I had to do my own research because the doctors weren't helping me figure out what it was, what my loss was. Like, why was I continuously having loss after having had a proven uterus, as they call it, you know? So it was tough. It was a lot of hard times. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, men and women go through loss very differently. And I don't want to leave a partner out of this situation because when you're going through treatment or even trying to get pregnant, both partners, you know, have feelings. But I remember one miscarriage, you know, my husband had, you know, it was like our, you know, I don't even know what number of miscarriage it was. He went out to like have to a bar with like his colleagues because that's how he needed to let off steam. And I was at home hysterical crying, you know, and I was so angry at him. But in hindsight, everybody deal like he was like frustrated with the process, too. So, you know, this process of, of loss and, and having to go through all of these different twists and turns, it's almost like a flow chart. If then, if then, you know, if it's this, then you do this. And it's, it becomes, it, it's difficult. It's difficult. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely does make sense. And I, I think it's a good point that you bring up that, you know, unexplained infertility is not a real diagnosis. <laughs> right. Because you're, because you're right. You know, I think they, they say that when um, they don't know what's causing it, but it has to be something. Mm-hmm. And, and I've really think, ruffled some feathers by saying that. And I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but in my experience, there is always a cause. Well, to me, it's kind of like, you know, they're finding, you know, things in our DNA like every day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it may be something that they haven't found yet, even. 
Mm-hmm. So right. I think, and, and also, you know, I think you bringing up that um, men and women grieve differently is also really important too. I know my husband and I, you know, we were able to grieve together a lot, but we also do grieve differently. I'm more mm-hmm. outspoken about it and he's more quiet about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And neither one is wrong and neither one is right. It's just what, how you grieve. Grief is grief. Yeah. And even, I mean, you know, even women, two women don't always grieve the same. You could go through the exact same type of loss and still have a different grief experience. hundred percent, hundred percent. And that brings me um, a good story. If you don't mind me sharing. Um, I remember I was in um, a a baby, you know, a a little kids group. My, my son was probably one or two um, years old. And I was in like, he was in like one of those baby classes. And I went to lunch with two other women after um, one of these baby classes. And one of the women was very vocal about the fact that she had just had a miscarriage and how upset she was. And when she went to the bathroom, the other woman who was sitting there was like, she just needs to get over it. And I like, I, my, my mouth was like, it dropped open. First of all, she didn't know how many miscarriages I had had at that point, nor did she know whether I had miscarriages or not. And I, and here it was this woman who was like convinced that anybody can get pregnant. You know, she was like, I have this best doctor. She should just go to my daughter. Everybody's different. And it just, I really like, I don't even know if I said anything. I don't know if I had the strength to even say anything. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But I just, to this day, remember how callous that was. Like another woman pulling another woman down, not knowing, you know, what her situation was. And then expressing it to me, not knowing what my situation is. You know, you're right. Two women go through it. And she had said, she was like, I had a miscarriage. And she was like, so like flippant about it. You know, okay. (laughs) Well, that's not how we all experience. No, no. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But those kind of comments are why people are so, you know, scared to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, Sarah, you know, again, in 2005, the world was a different place. There was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. There was no community. And, you know, I think I had one friend who had a, has who had an equally hard time as me getting pregnant. And she was a huge resource for me. And eventually I found a doctor, you know, who was an out-of-box thinker. And, um, and trust me, I lived in New York City, you know, lived in New York City, went to doctors in New York City, went to the finest doctors in New York City, some of the best well-known doctors, doctors who got famous people pregnant at the same time that I had miscarriages. And it was a small little clinic that just, they have the best pregnancy rates because they don't put you in a box. You know, they don't put you in a box. And, you know, to this day, I send clients there from the South down to there because, you know, even in this area, sometimes, Again, you know, you go back to um, it's not okay for a doctor to ever look at a woman and say, it's your body's fault. And I've had that said to me and my clients have had that said to me. Um, But um, yeah, so it is what it is. Finding the right doctor is definitely key, but definitely hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. They're out there, but Mm -hmm. they are not always, like you said, not always in the, the big name famous doctors. Mm-mm. No, no. So why do you think it's important to talk about your story? Because if I can help one person 
who's listening to this and give them hope, then my then my my day has been positive. And I just I we we as women have a fundamental right to have children like everybody else. As women, we all have a fundamental right to have a family should we want to. And it really, really gets me angry that there's this paradox here in the US, you know, we'll, we'll cover um, in certain cases, insurance companies will cover, you know, plastic surgery, but they won't cover the treatment of, you know, loss and infertility. And it just gets me angry. And every couple who wants to have a family, money should not get in the way of that. Resources should not get in the way of that. And, you know, I myself, my husband and I, 17 cycles, if you do the math, you can just imagine what that did to our, you know, everything, you know. Um, It's just, I want to be able to provide that hope and support because it's not fair. It's not fair that some of us, our, our journeys are not as, you know, even and steady as some others. And I'm just trying to level that playing field. And listen, I am not here to say that pregnancy by any means for anybody is easy. You know, I had a friend who would always say either getting pregnant, pregnancy or postpartum, somebody has, you know, an issue with one of those. It's not an easy road for anybody by any means. So I don't want to minimize that. And some have more than one of those, right? But like I said, I just want, I believe that we all have a right to have the family of our dreams. I love that. And it's so true. And, you know, we went through, we didn't go through IVF, but we went through um, other infertility treatment and insurance didn't cover any of that. It was all out of pocket. And the whole time I was just like, you know, this is so unfair. Like I didn't choose to have infertility mm-hmm. happen to me. No, no, you and didn't. Then, and I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and then, you know, you get those comments like, well, you should just adopt. There are babies <sighs> out there. And I'm like, okay, but that's, I want my baby. hundred <laughs> percent. It's so insensitive. It's like the top 10 things not to say to a woman who's having a hard time getting pregnant. You know, it's so easy for them. Um, you know, and, and, and the thing about also, you know, having to do infertility treatments, it just really bites that it's the only disease or, or, um, for lack of a better word, you know, I don't want to call infertility a disease, but, but it is a diagnosis. It's the only diagnosis that insurance companies will pay for the diagnostic piece of it, but not the treatment. That's like saying you have cancer, but I'm not going to pay to treat it. Like yeah, what it's ridiculous. <laughs> it, it, it is ridiculous. It, it really is ridiculous. And I had a, a very good friend of mine knew that we were going through all these infertility treatments and I'll never forget. We, um, we were hanging out with them one day and she was asking me about our journey, you know, cause I think people just, cause it took us so long and we had so much going on and I did so many cycles. I was always cycling or losing or, you know, people just didn't ask anymore. People get to that point where they just don't ask anymore. Cause it's just old news to them. And I remember her asking me, you know, and she was like, I would never do as many cycles as you did. I would never, I would never. And I was like, okay, well, you know, that's your choice. I said, but you know, this is something I want to do. And several years later, she called me up and she's like, I'm so sorry that I said those 
words to you because we're doing it now. And she's like, I understand. Wow. Yeah. So don't ever think that you know what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. Even if you're good friends, even if you know somebody, friends, family, you know, family means well, you know, friends mean well. Um, but sometimes you have to set boundaries and say, not your, this isn't your, this isn't for you to be discussing. And it's not, you know, thank you for your opinion. Keep it to yourself. I feel like most people are not trying to be hurtful. They think they're being helpful. And I, I, I just like to think that they don't understand. So they don't know the right thing to say instead of them trying to like intentionally be hurtful. Yes. But I feel like if you are an evolved enough person, you know better than to even try to say, I understand or to make a recommendation. You know, somebody who's evolved and if, you know, somebody's listening to this who, you know, wants to support a friend or family member, the best thing that you can do is to just listen, just let them talk. You know, I think it's Absolutely. a natural human in instinct to want to solve something, right? You want to help, but you can't, you can't, like, unless you have a wand that's going to make this go away, you can't. So I think that all you can do is say how I, I want to be here for you. I'm a good listener. Let I want to listen to what you have to say. How how can I how can I support you? I think that's great advice. Really, when when we had our infertility and our losses, that's all I wanted is somebody to listen to me. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't have to fix it. I knew they couldn't fix it. I knew I couldn't fix it. You know, so it it was nice to just have those people to just kind of vent to. Mm -hmm. Right. They, and they become your people, right? They become your circle. And oftentimes I recommend that you cut certain people out of your life who make you feel inferior or stress you out. Because as we know, Sarah, the situation is so stressful as it is, you don't need any more stress and you don't owe anybody anything either. Yes, that's absolutely right. I think, I think uh, we're afraid to cut certain people out, you know, like we feel guilty about it almost like we, we can't, do that. But, you know, taking care of ourselves is like the most important thing, but it's a thing we're kind of bad at sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, it's, you know, and then if you are doing hormones, you add that into it, but the whole situation really messes with your head. It's like, you've got amazing highs and then you've got disgusting lows and then you have to, you know, meld, you know, an action plan, uh, you know, between what two people want to do, right? You, you know, sometimes there's a different, you know, plan of attack from each party, right? You know, like one may not want to move forward one may like it's, it's just the whole situation is so stressful. And it's not the only stressor in your life. So, you know, you have to think of yourself, you have to think of your own self care, and you have to put yourself first and you cannot feel guilty. And you don't owe anybody anything. You just don't, I don't care if it's your mother, or your best friend, you don't owe anybody anything, you got to be selfish and put yourself first. Because like I said, this process just, it's so difficult. And then you add, you know, medication and hormones into that, forget it, forget it. Absolutely. So is there any other advice that you have for people who are newly going through infertility or loss? Um, I would say that 
the biggest thing is to take a beat. I think sometimes when we're going through this process of having a baby, we just want to be at it every month because I think that way we feel like we're moving forward and, and, and doing everything we can. But I would actually recommend the opposite. I would recommend taking a beat, looking at the things that have already worked and then the things more importantly that haven't and then what's missing because that's where you're going to find the things that are going to move the needle most for you and unfortunately you know i've been saying that you know the rate of infertility has been one for six for much longer than the who you know um announced that recently there's so many infertile couples x amount of infertile clinics everything is done through the through the portal sometimes i have patients um, clients who i work with who are not even getting phone calls telling them about you know vital information like a pregnancy test it's very very hard so you need to learn to be your own best advocate and you kind of need to um, insert yourself in that situation with your doctor. Doctors are wonderful, but you need to do your own research and bring it to them too. You cannot rely solely on, you know, the doctors today because again, you know, if you do not fall into that bell curve of loss or infertility treatments, they kind of just don't know what to do with you. So, you know, don't be afraid to get a second opinion. And don't jump from, you know, one trying cycle to another trying cycle without having looked at, you know, what you've already done. I can't believe that um, doctors aren't even calling people back. Oh, it's, it's awful. Like I have, I have one client who I'm working with who I have several clients who I'm working with actually who like looked in the portal themselves to see that their cycle didn't work. And that's, you know, upwards of fifteen, twenty thousand dollars that they're dropping. And to be made to feel like you're not part of that process when, you know, I try to stop people and, and help them to explain, especially if you're going through IVF, you know, and you're dropping all of this money that you're paying them for a service. They, you know, well, they seriously can't find two seconds to call. Like, I just think the whole situation is messed up. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, I've been on a, on a smaller scale. I've been annoyed that, you know, every time I call my uh, kid's pediatrician that they never seem to call us back, but it seems to be a, a problem with uh, a lot of doctors nowadays. I don't know if it's just 100%. being short staffed or, I mean, I don't know what the issue is, but it's like, why can I not just get a call back from anybody? Well, the reason for that is going back to a bigger problem of the insurance companies and the insurance companies dictate that you need to have X amount of patients a day to be seen. And imagine if you want to hold more than one insurance, you know, um, at your practice. So I think that there, that is a bigger issue. Like, I don't want to blame the doctors per se, because I feel like there are still really caring doctors out there, but they are encouraged to use this resource of this, you know, portal 
um, to streamline the process. And I'm not, I think that there's been this human aspect that has been taken out of everything that we do now and it's become so mechanical and clinical. Um, but yeah, even the pediatrician, you know, it, it's like, you know what, you're, you're not calling every single day. So if you're calling with a question, can you please call me back? Like, hello. I know. And I brought it up to the actual doctor and she's like, you're not the first person who's told me that. I'm like, okay. But then when I tried to call again, you know, like a month later for another question, still no call back. So I'm like, yeah. just do my own yeah. research, I guess. <laughs> And it really sucks. I just did a, a talk. I was invited to do a um, a workshop in, in a group last week. And I literally talked about this very topic of becoming, you know, your own healthcare hero, like how to advocate for yourself. And it was one of the things that I, I learned how to do through my infertility journey, but I use it to this day. Um, you know, I have a child with an IEP, a child with a 504. I have a child with, you know, special needs who's had 65 plus surgeries. Um, but, you know, I encourage everybody to learn this process progress, this process of advocacy, because it really is something that you will use, not only in your infertility journey, but with your children, with your own medical, you know, journeys, with your children's education, when you need to advocate for them. I mean, learning to be an advocate for yourself is just so important. And that's, I think, kind of what we do naturally for our children, because we have this kind of connection, but we need to do it for ourselves, too, because it's really important. Yes, you're so right about that. And that was something that I was really not good at. <laughs> and right. um, I had to kind of learn it through, you know, the same through like our infertility and our losses that I'm like, okay, I don't have to stay with this doctor, I can go somewhere else I can, you know, I remember, um, I have PCOS. And so I didn't have regular cycles when I was trying to get pregnant, which is obviously a problem. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, um, I had heard good things about acupuncture and mm -hmm. I started doing acupuncture and I saw actually really good results with it. Like it helped regulate my cycle. And I mean, I can't speak about highly enough. It was one of those things that I thought, oh, okay, I'll give it a try, you know, mm -hmm. not thinking it would work, but I found a lot of benefit from it. But, um, I remember, at the same time, I was doing a fertility treatment and one of the doctors, I told her that um, I had been going to acupuncture and that I thought it was really helping. And she just kind of like blew it off and was like, well, you know, there's not really much scientific evidence to support that. And, you know, I'm just kind of like, okay, but I've seen results from it. Why are you like dismissing me? Uh, it was just weird. Uh, <laughs> that is, that is. Uh, that is that is a nutshell of why I do what I do because you know what it's there are so many other you know don't even get me started you know certainly in the last three years I think that you know there's been a lot of different medical things go on going on in the world but you know why do you have to knock something you know it it doesn't matter I know lots and lots of women who have done acupuncture and it's helped them and I know some who hasn't but why does it matter was that necessary was that supportive like I always feel like when you say something you need to check yourself and be like is this going to be helpful what's coming out of my mouth is it going to be supportive yes. <laughs> like you know, and as a doctor, I mean, that's a prime example of it's just the lack of emotional support that I think you do get from a infertility clinic is astounding. 
It's just as it is. And especially during one of the most emotional times in your life. Mm-hmm. Right. How there is there anything else more emotional than wanting something so bad, but it escaping you every time? Like that is just that's the thing, too, is that, you know, I almost wish that some of these doctors had to go through what we had had to go through. Now, I actually had a doctor who went through what we went through and understands and I love her. And to this day, like I still speak to her, you know, all these years later, you know, but it's very rare, you know, and, and, and I think that that makes a for a better infertility doctor when you have struggled when you know what it's like, because I guarantee you, somebody who struggled wouldn't say to you, oh, whatever, like, I don't think right. it's doing anything. There's no medical like, because you just know that's not what you say. Just not what you say. I know. I'm so- sorry. I'm sorry that that <laughs> happened to you. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to everybody out there who has been told something disheartening from their doctor. I'm sorry for everybody listening to this whose infertility doctor told them that it's them, that it's their fault, that it's their body, that, you know, they're to blame. They waited to like enough. I think we have to stop and we have to listen to our gut because it's not your fault. You know, in this whole process, let's be honest, there's very few things that we can control, right? And Mm -hmm. you can only control what you can control. Right. And again, knowledge is a part of that control factor because, you know, I can tell you that every single person that I work with and and I say this with love and I hope I don't come off as doctors are so important. Doctors are so important. But again, going back to this, you know, they don't have they have limited time with you. There are things that are getting missed. And every single client that I've worked with for over the last four years Once we sit down and start talking about their history, we find multiple things that were overlooked. Multiple. I mean, you know, I can't even begin to tell you. Like, and it's just, and then I have these, you know, clients going, I don't understand. I don't understand what, what, well, you know, you have to ask them that. Right. You know, like. It's just like big things, like somebody has blocked tubes. And when you have blocked tubes and you don't take those out, it can cause infection and you could have multiple failures, miscarriages, all of the, like, how do you miss that? It's right there in the notes. Wow. It's right there in and the notes. Yeah. I thought that was like a, you know, one of the no, main things they check for. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not if you're doing infertility treatments because they think you know, that it's not, but that's not true. Even if you have like, you know, a strict, something needs to be looked into. This particular person was literally, when I met them six months ago, was about to do a cycle the following month. And I had to say to her in a nice way, can you just wait until we look through this? And then we uncovered thing after thing, after thing, after thing, after thing. And she was just like, I don't understand. I'm like, I don't understand either. But all I can tell you is this is, you know, when she went back to the doctor and said, He's like, oh, yeah, maybe we should look at that. What? Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe maybe we should look at it. You know, but they were ready to drop, you know, another $35,000, you know, to do a cycle and then to test the embryos and things. It's just, it boggles my mind because it's just, you know, I want everybody to be able to get there as quickly as they can and not throw bad money, you know? Like, why should you, like, you know... 
I don't, I don't want you throwing money after something that's not going to work. And that's why I say when you ask me that question, don't keep rushing into your next cycle. Don't keep throwing money at it. Because even if you're not doing infertility treatments, more than likely if you're listening to this, you're on some kind of medication to help you with the losses that cost money. Stop like throwing money until you actually have figured out what that issue is. Like try to like, you know, figure out what, what you've missed so that you can make that next cycle your best cycle. Like that's my, you know, just, you know, please do that. And again, I am not knocking doctors. I think they need help. And I think that they'll be appreciative of the help that you are finding things, right? You are part of your journey, and you know your gut and your body better than they do. So I think that oftentimes there's this power shift that happens, right? Like I feel like, well, they're the doctor. They went to the school, schooling for this. I can't make a recommendation. That is not, that is the farthest thing from the truth, the farthest thing from the truth. And if you have concerns and your doctor is not listening to you, that is your first sign that you need to go find another doctor. Yes, Absolutely. And I also think, you know, doctors can't know everything. I mean, there's a lot to know. You know, there's a lot of medical things. And I just think, you know, especially if you have something that maybe isn't as common or, you know, I, I just think doctors don't know everything about everything. They don't even seem to know very much about PCOS, which is a super common thing. I can't even begin to. Um, I, I agree with you. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I had a friend way, way back who had PCOS and they weren't even giving her like any kind of metformin or something like that, but she had to do cycles. She had to do IVF. And, you, you know, I remember just having these conversations about, well, if you have PCOS, there's certain things in your blood that we, you know, you, you need to like kind of level out, but, but you're hundred percent right. And I think the other piece of it is too, Sarah, you brought up, you know, the acupuncture, like why should that doctor care that you're doing acupuncture? But why is this doctor not recommending that you're on an anti-inflammatory diet that's going to regulate your insulin, right? Exactly. So why there's so many other questions that come up too. And again, this is why I do what I do because doctors, the only thing that you're getting served with from your doctor is the medical piece of it. You're not getting emotional support. You're not getting support for your symptoms. You're not getting support for your mental health. Um, you know, you're not getting support for your nutrition. You're not getting support for, you know, how do I get up and do an, like, you're just not getting that holistic, you know, with a, a WH, right? You know, you're not getting that whole support for the whole of you. And, you know, it's just, it, you know, it just, it makes me, um, it, I get so upset when I hear these stories. And I'm sure, you know, you doing this too, Sarah, I'm sure you hear these horror stories. You have your own horror stories. It's just, you know, when somebody tries to tell you that what your gut is telling you is wrong or that, you know, you're crazy or, you know, it, it's so hurtful when it's coming from a medical professional. It is. I mean, it's like, they don't take you seriously. You feel like you're crazy. You feel like you're, you shouldn't have said anything that makes you, you know, feel like you shouldn't try to advocate for yourself. A hundred percent because, and then you, and then you won't open up your mouth again because the last time you did, you were made to feel bad, but you know what? You, you don't have to stay in that situation. I had, um, I have a client that I'm working with who went to a doctor and literally this doctor looks at her and goes, do not do another cycle with your eggs. 
you're too old, it's your, it's your body's fault, blah, 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 blah. Well, when I tell you, when we found her the right doctor, they were whispering how many eggs they got from a retrieval because they were too embarrassed because they had so many eggs. Wow. Like it's like, <laughs> it's just like she came out crying from this doctor's office because he made her pe- feel like such a piece of, you know what? And the, and you have another doctor who's like, what were they talking about? You have a boatload of eggs. We just need to do this, this, and this. So that just goes to show with the right doctor, you will get the right results. You know, it's just, you know, I mean, I myself had, you know, after I lost, you know, one of the worst things um, that has ever happened is me losing one of my twins. And I had a very unusual um, situation when I was pregnant with my twins. Um, I had an integral birth and the babies were fine. My doctor was negligent. My I was funneling, meaning that my cervix started opening up prematurely because I um, had two babies and, you know, it, it, you know, I should have been on bed rest, but I, I'll spare you the details, but it was a very traumatizing delivery involving an ambulance ride of over four hours. I was on an island. I, it was a horrific, horrific thing, but I just remember, and, and I was on blood thinners for my immune conditions. And I remember waking up and I didn't even want to ask if I was still pregnant because I had to deliver. And I, just so happened to be that I was still pregnant with my daughter and my son's placenta was had to stay in because you can't deliver both. But anyhow, the point of my story is, is that this doctor blamed me. And then she was born at 23 weeks, spent 135 days in the NICU. This doctor literally blamed my body. It was my body's fault when he was negligent. I, my first child was born at 34 and a half weeks, which is a sign of an incompetent cervix. And then I have twins and I'm telling you, and I'm complaining that I feel like they're going to fall out and you do nothing, but that's for another day. And again, so important to listen to your gut and to advocate for yourself. And had I, maybe I would have had a different outcome. But the point of my story is this doctor blamed me, told me I should never, ever, ever get pregnant again. I would never be able to have a baby to full term. And that if I did, that I should get a surrogate. Do you think the man was like eating his hat when I got pregnant on my own and carried this baby to 36 and a half weeks with the right doctor? Just talk uh, about messed up. That's just, it's it's awful. That's all I I mean. There's no words for that. Like, I just can't believe. There's no words for it. There literally are no words for it. Literally no words for. So, you know, again, that gut feeling that, you know, you're listening right now and you're looking for something that gut feeling, listen to that gut feeling, always listen to that gut feeling, you know, yourself and your body best. So is there anything else that you would like to add or share? Um, if anybody is looking for any kind of resources, um, if you go to my website, um, karenrich.com, and you go to free resources at the top, I have a whole bunch of resources um, for you to check out, a whole bunch of blog posts, um, you know, feel free, um, you know, to go through. And um, I hang out on Instagram a lot. If you have any questions, um, please DM me on there. It's um, just like my name, at Karen Rich. Um, I would love to, um, you know, um, hear what you thought of the interview or if you have, you know, any questions or, um, you know, private thoughts, you know, I would love for you to do that. Um, but other than that, I, I, I think I've, I think I've really verbally vomited a lot here, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on and, you know, share your story and about, you know, how women can really advocate for themselves. Yeah. I, well, I appreciate you having me. I'm so glad that we connected. Um, and I, I really appreciate you making a voice for us to be heard and, you know, and making this topic less taboo. So thank you for that, Sarah. And thank you again for having me. Thank you so much, Karen, for sharing your story with us. One thing that you brought up that I find very frustrating as well is that women have to go through so many recurrent losses before doctors will even think about doing additional testing or trying to find a cause. Just think of all the losses that could be prevented if doctors would just take these losses more seriously. If they would just be willing to test for a few more things right off the bat. For me personally, it just feels like another way that losses, especially early losses, are dismissed as not being a big deal. Oh, it was just a fluke. These things are common. They just happen. You can try again. Yet how many doctors actually take the time to sit with us and tell us, I'm so sorry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve. Instead of just sending us away saying, come back when you're pregnant again. I had a miscarriage after doing a fertility treatment. I remember going in for the ultrasound and my reproductive endocrinologist looked at me and said, I'm so sorry, and told me it's okay to cry and it's okay to be sad. And then I couldn't stop the tears. And honestly, he wasn't a doctor I would have even expected that kind of compassion from. Not that he wasn't nice, he just always had more of a clinical, straightforward approach. But that moment meant everything. It gave me permission to be sad, and I didn't feel dismissed. And I truly hope he knows how much I appreciated that moment. And hopefully, if we continue to share our stories and to share our experiences, more doctors and medical staff will start to realize just how important language and empathy are. And hopefully it will inspire more to not be so dismissive of our heartbreaking losses. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you so much for tuning in, and remember, we are all in this together.